this episode of Common Sense Amino, we'll be talking with a serial entrepreneur who cut his teeth in the early 2000s, taking a very similar path that this, me, particular entrepreneur, also finds himself on. Building out early era digital marketing campaigns in a variety of verticals, my guest today is now the Vice President of Technology and Strategic Growth at one of Massachusetts's coolest dispensaries, Happy Valley. Greg Weiss, welcome to Common Sense Amino. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day to talk with us. Hi, thanks for having me. So you, uh, kind of like me, are a bit of a nomad. You, you are, you know, vice president at Happy Valley, a Massachusetts dispensary. You are not from Mass. Uh, but I'm curious, Correct. now that you've had some time, you know, you've been there for about two years now. I'm yeah, curious almost. if I can hit you with, uh, if I can test your auditory skills now that you've been uh, in Boston sure. for a little while. Okay. I'll try. Uh, which actor had the best Boston accent? Was it Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, Blake Lively in The Town, or Nicholas Colasanto, Coach from Cheers? Correct answers only, mm, please, Greg. I'd say Coach from Cheers. That's the exactly that's that's the right answer. We will be sending ding, ding, you ding, a, ding, ding, a ding, comically ding. large check in the mail. It's coming soon. Okay. Uh, and I also know that you spent some time in Jersey too, which. I have Jersey roots as well. I married a Jersey girl, uh, Bruce Springsteen. I did too. You had obligatory Springsteen at your wedding, like me, I'm sure. Uh, I no. we, we like to stir up some controversy on this podcast too. So mm -hmm. uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to do that. You know, we have to make content here, so this is very important. Uh, which okay. which place has the best bagels uh, in in Cherry Hill? Is it Phil's or East Side Bagel? You know, I only lived in Cherry Hill for a year and it was tw it was 22, no, more than 22 years ago. But so I'm going to have to guess here and say East Side. Incorrect. I'm sorry. We are not sending you that check. It's not okay. coming. It's Phil's. It's Phil's. It's okay, though. I won't hold it against you. Um, <laughs> so, so most people we talk to on this podcast are uh, usually entrepreneurial from birth myself excluded. I am not that. I'm a, a late bloomer when it comes to starting companies. You are not. You've, you've been doing this for a little while. Uh, you had a few jobs early in your career, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, when did you know you'd be better off doing things on your own? Hmm. Like what that's was, a, what was the that's point? a great, that's a great question. And I have well, a great thank answer. You, Greg. <laughs> and I remember it very uh, specifically. So I was in Florida uh, working for a digital, very small digital marketing group and uh, that shrunk and I got laid off and I said, great, what am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up going up to New Jersey for a family event. And my father, who has been an entrepreneur all of his life, I very specifically saying, well, what am I what am I going to do? You know, I can't make as much as down in South Florida as I was making up in New York City, which is where I in New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey, but commuted into New York City. I was working for AOL at the time. Uh, and had I stayed at AOL, I most likely would have, you know, climbed the corporate ladder. But I realized that really wasn't for me. Um, so at this job in Florida, when I was laid off, and then after I spoke with my dad, and he just said, well, why don't you just do what you've been doing, which is building websites and doing SEO and digital marketing. And I said, great, I'll, I think I'll maybe give that a shot. And 
thankfully, uh, my wife will, will love to hear me say this in public, that thankfully I had a wife who had a job so we could pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. And that gave me an opportunity to really start a business from my bedroom. And I started a company called Blue Whale Web Solutions, started to build websites. I started to buy leads from people who needed websites. I did the design, I did the development, I did the coding, I did the sales, you know it, we did everything when we start in our bedroom. And hat, then I slowly- hat, hat, hat. Yeah, and then I, I slowly got to the point where, all right, I don't need, and I'm not even a designer. I wouldn't call myself a designer, I'm a hack designer. Sure. You know, uh, I got to a point where I could hire a designer to provide me with designs. And I got to a point where I could hire a, a coder to, to code and I could focus on other things. So that's really where my entrepreneurial spark started. Um, and because I offered SEO services and web development services, I started several other lead generation businesses in parallel with that. Some of those I sold as well. Um, some of them I didn't. And um, I got to a point in about 2007, eight when the app store came out and mm -hmm. pivoted from web design to app development and changed the name of the company to Blue Whale Apps and was one of the first companies in the app store developing apps as professional services, just like it did website design and created a portfolio and started to do some, you know, internal apps that we would make money on and um, right place at the right time for app development and rode that wave for about eight years ish. And then I sold that company in 2000 and uh six no not 2006 i sold it in 2000 it was five years ago five six years ago i can't do the math it's 2022 right now. now greg do you know yeah, what year is it you know where you are <laughs> okay <laughs> um so um i sold that company and in two, 2016 is what i meant to say so 2016 right. is when amendment two happened in florida and medical marijuana was starting to pass and i i been a cannabis consumer almost my entire life and very passionate about the plant and, and medical use and what it can do. And so I sold my app development company to really immerse myself for about a year of in learning everything about the industry, going to trade shows, MJ Biz, and getting involved in, in the movement that was happening in, in South Florida. And that's how kind of I, I got my start from, you know, the tech world into uh, cannabis. I love this. So, cause like our stories are insanely parallel. It's, it's a little scary. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm curious because you kind of started, you know, you alluded to this, but you, you, you know, you, you had a job in Florida, you then, you know, your father encouraged you to kind of uh, do what you do for yourself. Uh, that's awesome. My father did the same thing. Um, I'm curious though, because this is early 2000s, right? Um, that was uh, when I started the company, it was 2004. Okay. So still fresh off the, the tech bubble, right? Yeah. So one of the, you know, like part of the thing we loved, I love to talk about because I think it's so important for, for, it was important for me to hear these lessons as an entrepreneur. And I think it's really important to contextualize the journey of, of people in business. So you're right off, this is like, you know, getting into real estate, 
now <laughs> or no, no, getting into real estate in 2008. Right. So the, uh, the, the tech bubble, the, the dot-com era of the mid to late nineties, I think it was 1999. It finally, it finally crashed essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like, you know, these humongously valuated companies that had existed that no one listening has ever heard of, except for maybe Enron, um, you know, completely crashed and, and overnight they were gone uh, in this, you know, this bubble burst. So what, this is still, fr- I'm imagining this is still fresh in your, me- yeah. in your memory. How is that not, how did you tell, how, how, what am I trying to say here? How is that not uh, influential on your decision to start your own company? I- I'm going to, I'm going to go into an industry who's where the bubble just burst, you know, how did you defeat that fear in yourself? Going into the cannabis industry, you mean? No, from... no, no, going into tech out of the tech bubble, right? So coming, you know, going into building websites right after the, basically the website bubble burst in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Well, it was still, you know, when I started my web company, there, there was no Squarespace there, you know, there was WordPress, yeah. but it was very early. Um, there were none of these like WYSIWYG, do it yourself, spin up in a website, go onto GoDaddy, click a few buttons and you've, and you've got a website. Websites were still very custom and there were big ad agencies who were charging hundreds of thousands of dollars for a website that today you would be like, oh, you did that on Squarespace or, or WordPress. And that looks really good. It's an e-com site and you can, you can spin that up or a Shopify site. None of that existed. So and a lot of these big agencies for web design and for app app development used smaller boutique companies like my company and then you know they marked it up 100 times because they didn't have the resources to do that because that really wasn't their core competency so um that was that was really the opportunity from the the web side and the app you know, pivoting from web to app, it just got to be a point where I did the web development for a couple of years. And then the square spaces and all that, it started to get a little easier. But then Steve Jobs came out with the Apple came out with the iPhone and the app store. And I was like, wow, this is this is going to be the next thing. This is where I need to be. I literally I had uh, I had because I would develop the website and then I would have clients on the hook for monthly SEO services. So as I stopped doing web development, but kept the easy income of SEO, because at that point, search engine optimization was all about link building. There was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was none of that. It was fairly easy to do. So when I pivoted from web to app, I had some of my SEO companies and I got uh, our clients and I got to the point where I was like, I don't even want this easy money anymore because this isn't where it's at. And I had to tell client, I'm not doing SEO anymore. I'm ch- I'm changing my focus to app development. So I let go a bunch of my SEO clients to really focus on on app development. So um, yeah, does that answer I your love question? That. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I I something I'm really hearing here is the is the pivot. Right. Yeah. You know, recognizing an opportunity at first, it was the, you know, inception of of coming out of having a nine to five and actually just implementing a bit, you know, starting a business. Right. That's one thing. But then recognizing, you know, the launch of the iPhone in 2007 is something that, 
you know, is probably going to have some radical effect on, on the digital world for sure, but digital mm -hmm. marketing, absolutely. Um, you know, I, so I worked at Apple when then, yeah, I started at Apple in 2008, uh, uh, cool. so after, after that crash, uh, <laughs> after the music. So at AOL, you were working in for, for AOL music. Is that, is that Correct. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I was in the music industry. I wasn't on the tech side, uh, in the music industry around, um, uh, 2006, 2007. Um, but I was in the music industry on the publishing and, and, uh, performance uh, a booking side cool so i remember well that you know what happened then to ancillary industries when you know the the financial crisis of 2008 you know completely punched the music industry right in the face that was the first thing that happened and then you know so, so i'm now looking at apple as because of this you know similarly i i recognize it as a place that is growing wildly um but also it was the place to be, you know, for sure. I started at Boylston yeah. street in Boston and then eventually moved to Manhattan and, and worked at the cube on fifth Avenue. And then, you know, finally landing in Soho. And one thing that, um, I took from that experience was retail. And I don't, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit because we're, we're pre you getting to happy Valley, but whatever, it's my podcast. <laughs> I'll do what I want, Greg. So the, the, that retail experience was something that was pounded into me as an employee, right? When we first launched iPad, I remember we took, we spent literally weeks on uh, developing what we then called the unboxing process. Nobody had ever heard of such a thing. Like there wasn't, you know, thousands of unboxing YouTube uh, videos on YouTube at the time. This is mm -hmm. a relatively new thing. So that was a whole experience that they were trying to uh, implement in order to improve the whole customer experience during it's part the part of the brand of it's part of the brand it's just so white glove and i'm curious because you obviously like recognize something in apple where you also wanted to pivot into that but like what did you see i mean beyond the hype you know which <laughs> who's better at it than apple um what did you see like what just was obvious about that as it relates to Happy Valley, well, or? going into the app, like building, you know, moving from then web, you know, web to apps. Um, well, the one thing that comes to my mind since we're kind of j jumping around is with you know at, at Happy Valley, we have an unboxing experience. Our mm -hmm. products, when you buy an eighth of flour, is in a jar that has is induction sealed. Um, that jar is in a box. You open up that box, the box is, um, I should have grabbed one, um, but it's matte finish, their logo's embossed. There is an unboxing experience and that is absolutely taken from Apple because yeah. I'm an Apple fanatic. I have my Apple products. You know, I used to joke with my wife um, because I ran the app development company. I have to get this new device every year because I have to test on it. So I was always the one with the latest iPhone, even though the one from last year was perfectly fine yep. um, because it was part of the business. And that's that's actually true. It's an expense. Um, but, you know, it's an expense um, because every, you know, device and screen size acts a little bit differently when you're when you're developing apps. But, but the unboxing experience, you know, Apple, to your point, um, proved that that's part of the brand and it gives you a feeling. 
And you want to associate your brand with good feelings when you interact with that brand because mm -hmm. it's all about the experience. Our tagline in Happy Valley is unlock your experience, whether that's the unboxing experience, that's the obvious experience with the product or the experience with your host when you're in store, um, your experience with our content on the website, your experience with our mobile app, aha, uh -huh, that we've actually, that we have, we're one of the only ones with a mobile app in Massachusetts mm -hmm. because of that background that I have. Um, so, so yeah, that unboxing experience is definitely valid. I can remember, you know, I mean, so many times iPad launch, new iPad, like whatever the product was. And this is true for almost every store in a metropolitan area, um, every Apple store in a metropolitan area. But I, you know, like I said, I worked at the fifth Avenue store. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, for people in New York city, it's might as well be the statue of Liberty. It's, it's that kind of tourist attraction, mm -hmm. but we'd launch a product and there would be a queue that would stretch yeah. down fifth Avenue over to central park and, you know, down central park, uh, you know, East for blocks and blocks and blocks. And, you know, the rationally minded person would say, you want me to unbox an iPad for all of these people? That's insane. But that's what we did because of exactly what you're saying. Like the, the, it's not people confuse brand. And as a, as a, you know, a, a company, you know, as a, a graphic designer, I'm not, but as a, as a, the founder of a company of graphic designers, um, right. one conversation we have constantly is, is brand versus, you know, what is brand and, you know, 99.9% .9 of um, companies think the brand is the, you know, the logo. logo. Right. Yeah, and it's not, it's, nope. it's an, eth it's an ethos really. Um, mm -hmm. The logo plays into that for sure, but it, it's an ethos. So when you're looking at a line that stretches for hours down to central park, uh, you're damn right. We're going to open up all those boxes because what else that's what we're supposed to do you know like that's the mm -hmm. brand it's it's that experience that we're uh giving to those customers uh because they're spending lots of money and it, it you know the same with cannabis it's obviously on a different scale um but maybe you have customers who come in once a week or once a month you know they're not coming in every day or every other day or something like that they're coming in very infrequently because maybe it is an important purchase to them um mm -hmm. maybe they are weighing it out you know what i mean so uh, Absolutely. That you're doing that. And this isn't something, you know, having shopped at many dispensaries in Massachusetts, including Happy Valley, um, it's not an ex it's you, you have a unique experience. You're providing a very unique experience. Uh, most dispensaries are super transactional. Um, and yeah, and know, that's I what we're that's trying. We're trying to avoid the transactional model of come in, get your weed, stand in line and go. Um, we call our, we don't say bud tenders, we say hosts, right? We're trying to elevate this experience and it is an experience. It's an unboxing experience. It's an educational experience. Were you in our East Boston or Gloucester yeah, store? East Boston. East Boston. So you saw our 36 foot screen showing some yeah. content. You saw our touch screens. You saw our menus. Awesome. You saw our gigantic showroom. East Boston is our flagship largest store. We'll have a third store in Brighton in 2023, which is the Old Marion's Bar um, down in Boston, which a lot of people 
know and loved. <laughs> so oh, yeah. that location is really great. But um, yeah, we want to create an experience, a place where you feel brand loyal, where you can talk to a host. We've had some hosts that talk with customers for 20, 30 minutes. They're not rushing them out. Yeah. You know, and that's not the type of experience it should be. So again, it's unlock your experience, whatever that may be. Yeah. I mean, you know, not, not to pull it back to Apple constantly, but I can remember because this was, you know, really for me, that was the first um, kind of introduction to the idea of an experience versus walking into a store, picking the thing out, paying for right. it and leaving and never thinking about it ever again. Right. The, the thing that really blew me away is I can remember being hired at Apple and, you know, in their, in their onboarding literature, they say specifically um, that their original retail model was based off of what Nordstrom's did and what the W hotel, I believe the W hotel, what the W hotel would do. And I thought that was super interesting kind of, you mm -hmm. know, why, why would a compute, why would a technology company look to a hotel in a, in a, a retail, you know, a, a clothing retailer to, to, you know, pick and choose what's going to, you know, impact the way that they do business. But of course, all you're doing is looking to your peers to figure out what are they doing right? You know, whether right. it's cannabis, iPads, or a jacket, you know, or a hotel room, it's that experience. I'm curious, like, besides Apple, which obviously we've been talking about, but who else are you kind of drawing that inspiration from? Um, I don't think there's one company in particular. Um, Apple's the easiest reference. A lot sure. of people say that when they come into our store because it's very clean lines, it's whites and grays. There's not like graffiti and pops of color and things right. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the easiest reference. We get that a lot. You know, wow, your store looks like an Apple store or, or a jewelry store with the glass showcases and stuff like that which I love because there's yeah. no, <laughs> that's not, that's a great thing. You want to compare us to the largest, most valued company in the world? Sure. Go right ahead. Give it to um, me. But that's it. just a look, a look thing. But we hope that our unboxing experiences like Apple's, you know, and all those other things. But, um, you know, we have a very, also the experience in store is very curated. One of the differences between what we're doing compared to all the other dispensaries um, in Massachusetts, for that matter, is our store is a showcase for our own Happy Valley products. We're vertically integrated. Right. We make and grow all of our own flour in Gloucester. We take that flour, we make distillate oil, we make solventless products, we make edibles in our own kitchen, we make our own vape oil with cannabis uh, terpenes that are added back in. We don't use botanical terpenes. So we take great care in the products that we make. And that is the reason why our stores are a showcase for our own product because we can stand behind them. We know how they're made. We know the quality of the flower. If the quality is not good, we don't, we don't use it. So um, the, that's how we can control everything from start to finish. So if somebody comes and they have a, a bad experience with the product, um, which, and I say bad experience, meaning like maybe there was a cart that leaked or something. We can, right. we can make that right. You know, that happens. It's hardware, hardware breaks. Um, we don't make vape hardware. So, but we can control that because it's our own brand from our own store. So that is a very unique model that is 
that is different than a lot, you know, it's real easy, relatively speaking, to open up a retail store and be a 7-Eleven and carry 20 yeah. different gummy brands and everybody's flower. And then you're just playing a round robin of who am I buying wholesale from today that's gonna give me the best price, that I'm gonna sell the best, and how am I gonna get people in and out and what's my bottom line? That's not creating a brand, in my opinion. No. We're building a brand. We sell to over 90 different operators across the state. So you can find our Happy Valley products pretty much in every dispensary and growing. So um, it's a very different model and it's, it's a ballsy model, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for <laughs> you sure know, it like is. it takes a lot of balls to say, we're not going to carry anybody else's product and we're going to stand behind our own product. This is the only thing we're going to sell with a caveat and saying there's one product that we do sell, which is Theory's High Five drink. Um, the seltzer drink, that's just because we don't make seltzers. We don't make drinks, totally. but everything else we make. This it's interesting to hear you say that and try to t and just try to tie it back to, you know, your evolution and, and where you, you know, where you started is so for us right now, we find ourselves for our clients whose websites we build and whose SEO we manage, uh, who are running retail dispensaries. One of the challenges we are constantly hearing about is, and this is actually from our brands who maybe put their who put their products into retail uh, into retail mm -hmm. locations, right? So the education component of it, because like you said, it's you know you don't want to be just a shop with you know lots. You're controlling that experience as opposed right. to relying on the customer to figure it out. Obviously, with the help of bud tenders or associates, whatever. But you know, you guys are guiding that experience more. So one of the one of the things we've started doing is because these 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 THC brands are starting to get worried that their sales messaging is now in the hands of associates who aren't trained by them or, or mm -hmm. whatever. So we're building out SEO content that's specific, you know, specifically educational for their consumers. You guys don't really have that problem. It's not like you have to, mm -hmm. um, right. you know, and again, bringing it back to the Apple model, mo you know, 90% of the products in the store were made by Apple. Uh, right. right. So it, it was easy to be psyched about them because like we were on the hype train. We knew that that new, you know, your guys know, you know, your, your employees know that the, that new solventless hash is come. It's coming out this, this summer or whatever, like they can get hyped on it and, and educate themselves because they're yeah, but at Apple, on... they never told you, they have never told you the date when the new thing is going to come out. They just said, we don't know. Right. No, they, <laughs> they said, Hey, guess what? You have an all nighter next week and we can't tell you why. And we're like, Oh, is uh, okay, it iPhone season? <laughs> right. It's September. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Um, but you don't have to worry about that kind of dilution of not only, you know, knowledge and passion, uh, of your employees for the products that happy valley makes but all you're doing is selling happy valley like that education and passion that love is like like i said curated and and really managed that's by, a great by you. it's a great point because again taking to the iphone you'll get trained how to new, you use the new os right that's the product yeah. right in cannabis our host because we only sell happy valley products and the majority of the people who work there are consumers. When you go up and you ask the coast, hey, I need, uh, you know, I want something for sleep, something more indica leaning, 
you know, something high in limonene for terpenes. That's what I know that I like. And the host you're talking about it, there is a much better chance that that host or someone in the building, if it's not that person, has tried one or many or all of sure. those different cultivars um, and can give you a real recommendation. It's not just, hey, this is the brand we're pushing this week, but we also have right. five other brands and five other, you know, different product choices. So to your point, they're more highly educated like Apple on the products and they also try those products so they can really speak from the heart as to the effects and how they made them feel. Um, but the thing with cannabis, as we all know, what may work for me and how I feel may not work exactly for you. And that, um, you know, that's that's an educational, I'm not going to say problem, but like that's an education, educational solution that as an industry, you know, we need to we need to solve. Um, it's not it's not going to be easy, but it's not just like, hey, there's indica steer and hybrid and this is going to put you to sleep and this is going to wake you up and be creative. Everything's hybrid and it's really based around terpenes. And, and that is really where the education comes into play. We're in a market think, right now in Massachusetts that's yeah. like, I just want the highest tack. What's your highest? You got 29, 32% THC. I'll take five. Right. And, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, there is a market for not necessarily in Massachusetts yet, but in markets, more mature markets like Colorado and California, where it's like, you know what? I want a two to one. Right. I want something yep. under 20% because I have to get on a call and, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's not all about high THC. But in this market, because it's the first adult use market on the East Coast, that is really what moves the needle. Okay, and this is another great example of one of those hugely abstract things that most business owners don't know is part of brand, is listening to your customers, right? The easy route mm -hmm. is to build products that are fire. They get the highest <laughs> THC, it's, you right. know, whatever. It's the, the it's, it's so solventless. It's the most, it's the most solved, like whatever, right? There's, it's the, I want more, 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 but there is a whole demographic. And I would probably say mm -hmm. it's a majority of cannabis consumers uh, who aren't into that at all. <laughs> right. And part of, part of building a brand is recognizing. And okay. So we, we put out creative surveys, right? We put out a website, uh, we, we, we book a, a new creative client or a new web client and we give them a creative survey. Tell us about yourself. What is your brand? Who is your customer, right? Mm -hmm. Half, 50% of the time, who is your customer? What do you think they say, Greg? Uh, the 420 guy? No, they say everybody's my customer. Oh, everybody. They always okay. say, who's your customer? Everybody. No, everybody's not your customer. Everybody's mm -hmm. not your customer, right? So you have companies who will focus on, uh, uh, you know, building a line of products to cater to the uber heady <laughs> consumer base. But meanwhile, you have smart brands who are listening to the quieter voices, the baby boomers who are coming in and saying, mm -hmm. you know, I just don't, I, I don't, I'm not trying to get stoned. I just want to go to sleep. You know, like right. I'm trying to get this hip like feeling right again. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. is that whole community of, of consumer that wants something specific and it's important for companies 
like Happy Valley to recognize that and be like, that's my customer. Or that yeah, is that, a, that is one of my customer personas. That's all about the product fit for that specific customer, which is why it's so important for your host or your bud tender to spend the time and find out with that customer that they so much appreciate, especially if they're new or they're returning yeah. to cannabis or they're a baby boomer with the, the hip replacement and they want to get off a Percocet, um, but they don't want to smoke because they had lung cancer. So we would recommend a tincture. We have a one-to-one -one with CBD and THC. We'd have a, just a straight up THC tincture. And that will, that will help you with your pain, right? So it's really about understanding, not unlike any other business or any other retail store, understanding what your customer wants and, and trying to match the right product or, or consumption method. Yeah, I feel like that's almost, in, in most instances, the first thing that business owners need to figure out is like, who am I making this for? Because it's definitely not for everybody, you know, it mm -hmm. shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, it's, it's impractical, but if you can do it really well for us, uh, you know, a certain subset of, of consumer, your business yeah. will ultimately becomes successful. I want to take uh, a few steps back because we skipped over a couple of things that, uh, that I think are really interesting. And because we're, you know, mostly an entrepreneurial focused podcast. I think are mm -hmm. important to touch upon. So let's go back in the future again, just, just for a okay. minute, because one thing that I'm fascinated by is the exit strategy. It's something that I think about constantly. I'm the founder of a, mm -hmm. of a company um, in a, you know, a pretty hot space. The, you know, it, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody may be interested in my company one day. So, so mm -hmm. I, I think about that. I would say it's one of the, things entrepreneurs think about most when you're trying to get investment from people, they'll often ask you, what's your exit strategy? Um, what was your exit strategy? Let's talk about that. When you were, when you were ready to get, yeah, rid of your so, I'm, curious, so re, I'm curious about all this. So rewinding, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to try and do the, do the math in my head, what year it was. No, no, no. Just um, know that we're 2022 now. That's all you got. Yeah. But basically when I started, um, and this is a, this is a great story that I haven't told in, in a long time. Um, so, so when I started the web company and doing SEO and I got my feet and my legs and it was starting to have some success and being able to pay some, some bills and thinking, Hey, this is what I want to do. I'm not going to have to go back to a day job and I'm not ever going to do that. Um, I had one, one client that I built a website for, and hopefully he's not going to find this podcast and never hear it. <laughs> um, this was a very long time ago. And this was when, again, search engine optimization. I guarantee was easy. you, Greg, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> when, when search engine optimization was easy and you could spend, you know, 60 days getting backlinks and buying backlinks and creating a subdomain and keyword stuffing your homepage and be at the top of Google, right? So I built a website and did SEO for him. His mother was in the um, title insurance business in real estate. Um, and his website is, was called freetitlequote.com. And the concept We'll link was, it in the description. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll so, get that backlink. Um, yeah. So, so basically, I built him this website um, where he got all these leads. And I did SEO. And I started seeing, like, and I built him this admin. It's like, wow, this guy's killing it. He would take one lead and he would send it out to five title companies and he would get paid 
on every lead and one title company would win and they'd get they'd get the gig right it was like member service magic back yeah, in the sure. day yeah, yeah um, for like contractors it was like that yeah. kind of model um lead gen and so i built him this website i saw these leads he was getting and i knew from it i knew what he was selling the leads for and i'm doing some calculations I'm like this guy's freaking killing it and he was like very young he wasn't even like 20 or 18 he was like very young very entrepreneurial um and i think his mother may have funded the whole project um but anyway that was like it was one of those moments where i was like well if he can do it i can do it and i freaking built the thing right mm -hmm. so um i had just moved to florida from new jersey i had been in florida for a couple of years i built new uh, I, I bought a new construction home in like a gated community and and had my my son was very little at the time and I was the only guy on my block without a pool in a very zero lot line. Like the pool I would have had would have been so small anyway. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like, well, what, what, how could I take this title quote, you know, Legion idea and, and do something? So long story short, I created this website called freepoolquotes.com where you would get five, uh, vetted quotes from pool contractors and i created orlando.freepoolquotes.com and miami.freepoolquotes.com and all in tampa and all the florida cities and in the evening when i wasn't doing the web design stuff i would do sales calls and i would email these contractors to get them to join the network and basically i followed the same model where I would send out the leads and I was doing everything on paper. I sent this lead out to this pool contractor, just writing everything down and doing it in Outlook and forwarding and BCCing the leads because I didn't have any admin or automated process to do it. Um, and I was starting to kill it because SEO was so easy and I had the backlink resources and I was sending out these leads at night and I was doing the web development during the day. So to answer your question, about a year and a half into it, I get a call or an email, whatever it was, from a company who buys and sells websites. And he said, would you be interested in selling your website? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I never really thought about it, thought about the exit strategy. Sure. That was the first time I thought about the exit strategy. So again, long story short, he was like, no obligation, just send me your last 12 months trailing revenue, you know, send me your expenses. I wasn't even on QuickBooks at the time. This was just a side hustle because I had the resources to build the website and the resources to do the SEO. Um, and in a year and a half, the thing exploded. So again, long story short, listed the website with the guy who this, he was like the lead gen guy. He probably had a task, go find me every lead gen and every vertical and let's see if we can you know, make a deal because they had a, a bucket of people who were interested in lead gen. Um, there was a big company called Quinn Street. If, I don't even know if they're still around, but they're like a lead gen aggregator. They helped with service magic and those types of websites. Oh, yes. um, but anyway, we ended up listening it and sold the site for $200,000, 18 months from the time that I started it. And then I was like, hmm, that's a pretty good model. That's my exit strategy. So I had gone through that to the next site that I, I was like, all right, well, I think I can rinse and repeat this. And this is before apps. 
Mm -hmm. um, so then I did easykitchenquotes.com mm -hmm. and I bring up Quinn Street because I ended up selling the leads to Quinn Street rather than trying to create my own network and all that sales and, and legwork. And they rejected about half of them because they scrubbed for fake ones and stuff like that. But I ended up selling that website as well without a broker because I had gone through the motions and I knew how to do it. Um, so then I then about that time was when the app thing started to happen and the iPhone came out. So I was like, well, how am I going to generate leads to develop apps? Because the app store just started. And I was like, all right, well, let me throw together this website, a landing page with a landing page and a thank you page. And I called it iPhoneAppQuotes.com and get three or five, I think it was five, five quotes from vetted US-based app developers, Blue Owl apps being one, and, and I didn't have a network. I just threw it up. Literally in a couple weeks since the website was up, do you remember Gizmodo? I don't even know if they're still around. Of course, they are still um, around. I did a press release through PR web. This is probably the best PR web success story that PR web doesn't even know about. <laughs> you know, I spent a hundred bucks on a press release I, and I really only did it for SEO, right? Cause that yeah. was when PR web yeah. allowed you Buy to back put link. backlinks, right? Yeah. Um, and that was like one of the SEO strategies back then. So I did a press release, Hey, this new website, get free, you know, get free quotes, da, 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 da. Gizmodo picked up the press release, put it on their homepage, an article about it with a link for like two weeks. And I remember this specifically because the, the, the Gizmodo thing came out on a Friday or a Thursday. And I woke up Friday morning, I was about to go to the Bahamas for vacation. And in my outlook, in my email was like 300 leads. Damn. And I was like, holy shit, where the hell, did, what happened? I go to Google Analytics and what do I see? A giant spike and referring Gizmodo. Gizmodo. I, went to, I went to the page and then Gizmodo UK picked it up and Gizmodo you know, uh, Australia picked it up. And then like these bloggers picked it up and the shit just went crazy. So I literally remember printing out every single one of those leads before I left on vacation in a giant folder. And for like two days, my wife killed me. That's what I did on my vacation. On I, I sorted out these leads. Some of them were app developers that were just getting started. How do I join your network? Some of them, I mean, I got leads from Foot Locker, from Sears, from like yeah. when Sears was still around, from like really big companies. Um, I got a lead from, it was a pharmaceutical company, I can't remember, but I was just like, holy shit. And so that was when I knew I had something and that, so that's how I got to build the portfolio of the app development company. But when I started it, I had my exit strategy in mind. I knew that- Because you had just been through it with the, with the pool right, quote company. Right, right. And, um, and I knew I didn't want to be- But you were, you were presumably now, you now had, you know, this is the thing that like always, it's so confusing, right? When you- when people talk about the, 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 you know, valuating their company or what the value of their company is, part of it is like a mysterious nebulous chunk of value that 
is fairly arbitrary. Here's what here's like my revenue, but here's what this this brand is worth kind of right and yeah the more the more you have the more juice you have so you had a lot of backlinks you had like all these people talking about it and well rankings there's value in rankings exactly. I, i'll put totally. i'll put a value on a number one ranking based on how much traffic google says it gets and you'll put a value on it that'll be different right oh yeah but there's revenue there's your trailing revenue and you sell for a multiple of that revenue typically um, and then there's those, what you're talking about, those kind of like intangibles, like what is a number one ranking worth for swimming pool contract or Orlando, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's exactly the other things. Is. Like how, like, who knows? Well, it's an, it's, but it's value important. until- it's, it's super important to figure out. Like it's super important yeah. part of like adding an actual number to your, the value of your company. Yeah. And that all, I mean, that, that directly translates to leads in, which is, which yep. is money. So they're all, they're all interconnected, but what you're talking about is like over for happy Valley thing about like, what's the brand worth? Like, you know, just the brand we don't know, but if you could say my brand, I have such great brand awareness, or you do a focus group and you put the key in front and people go, you know, nine out of 10 people know what it is. And then there's value there. It's like yeah. the Apple logo or the Nike swoosh or whatever. Um, but, um, so that was that was how I really figured out like I needed to have an exit strategy when I started. So same kind of thing. I didn't use a broker. I knew it got to the point with iPhone app quotes where I was spending so much time vetting leads. And at this time I got smarter. I ended up building a system where on the back end it matched and automatically went out. So I wasn't writing on paper. It was like here, here's what I want. Here's what I think my budget range is. Um, but what was different about it in the lead gen is that either me or I ended up hiring something, someone, we actually called the person. So I would call you and be like, you really think you want to build Twitter for $5,000? You know, it's always, you know, Twitter meets Facebook yeah. meets this or sure. whatever. And people have never built apps before. It was very new. Right. Even for the bigger companies, they have no idea what it what it costs to build. So usually their budget ranges were out of whack with what it would really. So the service that we provide in addition to just the contact of the lead gen was this vetting process and say like, you really need more than $5,000 to build Twitter. If you have you know $500,000, maybe you could. Um, so we didn't even about half the leads we got in, we vetted, we just, we just they weren't qualified. They weren't qualified. So the developers and development companies really appreciated that because they, you know, they were buying leads from other places too. Um, but because we really vetted them because of my background building apps, I knew the questions to ask. I went, and then I trained other people who answered the phones and did what I did. They just weren't bodies answering a phone, going through a, a set of questions. Right. Totally. So your exit strategies in place. So here, here's, you know, I'm, this is so interesting to me. I, I love that you like, you're like, Oh, oh I, I see what, I see what they're doing. So it's, I see what they're doing. I can do this. I'm probably equipped to do this better. Let's see if I'm right. And that's mm -hmm. like, <laughs> that's the jump that it takes to like, I, I love that. I love that story. When you're okay, so you're you sold your companies, um, and and you kind of touched upon why cannabis. I mean, and, and it's you know not necessarily a unique story. I'm a 
I love cannabis. Same with me. Um, but I'm curious, like, what was that time between kind of like closing shop with your, your, you know, your, your ventures and then maybe going back into being an employee? Yes. So, um, so I sold uh, Blue Whale apps. Um, and then I took, like I said, about a year, a little, little more if you ask my wife, but I say a year <laughs> um, in terms of just immersing myself in the industry and going to trade shows and learning what terpenes are um, and getting involved in, in um, United for Care that was happening in Florida, which was the company head by John Morgan who got all the signatures and eventually got um, medical passed in Florida. And before I moved to Colorado, I was like, well, what could I do? And I realized, and this was before medical marijuana was passed in Florida, I started a company called Canna Holdings, which put on medical symposiums for physicians. And through that year of networking, I got introduced to this person, introduced me to this person, and I did a test at the it was the Hilton in West Palm Beach, right by the airport. There was maybe about 100 people. It was a free event. I had never put on an event before in my life, um, other than participating in my wedding. And, sure. uh, you know, and I had four speakers who were all medical cannabis professionals. And one guy spoke about the endocannabinoid system. Another guy spoke about brain disorders. And we kind of mapped it to all of the debilitating conditions that were in the amendment and promoted it to free it's free for physicians come learn about medical marijuana because if this thing passes and it looks like it's going to because it's the second time around people are going to come in with these conditions and ask you doc i've got crohn's disease this just passed why should i use this and you're going to look like an idiot doc if you have no answer because you're because this is happening regardless of what your political views are it's your job to understand and know because this is happening so I did that first event. It was a really great success. I broke even, I didn't lose money. And then about six months later, I did an even bigger event in Fort Lauderdale where I had 10 speakers, I had lunch, I blew it out. I had two giant screens. Um, I moderated it, I sold tickets. I partnered with a company to, so these docs would get CE, continuing education credits for attending. Um, and that was really great. And then I did a third one um, in Orlando. And then I said, well, I don't really want to be in the event business. My whole point of, of doing this is because I wanted to apply for a license in Florida. I wanted to get a license. I wanted to open my own dispensary or be in a grow or whatever it was um, without getting too in the weeds in, in Florida legislature and politics. Florida is the most difficult state to get a license. It's vertically, it's mandated vertical integration. You have to partner with a nursery who's been in business for 30 years and grown several hundred thousands of plants, which box the majority of the people out who wanted to apply for a license. Unlike Massachusetts, for example, you know, who has a social equity program, not vertically integrated. You could open up a retail store with I don't want to say little capital, but not as much as a, you know, building a grow and stuff like that. Um, so in Florida, so I did that, that company. Um, and then I got involved in another company um, called Leaf, 
And that's what brought me to Boulder, um, to a legal market. And LEAF uh, is a hydroponic grow box that's mm -hmm. controlled by an app for home growing. Oh, cool. Um, they still haven't shipped the product. They ran into many, many issues in oh, funding in China and stuff like that. And that was like, you know, that was that was four years ago because I've been with Happy Valley for four years. So it was more than four years ago. Um, but that's yeah. what brought me to Boulder. Um, and then that company needed to raise money. And then I was introduced to the CEO at Happy Valley. Um, and then I ended up commuting back and forth to from Boulder to Massachusetts for the better part of two years, yeah. once or twice a month until the stores were open. And then that's what brought me to move. That's amazing. I love, so one thing that I really relate to there and you, I would say, took it to the extreme level. I would be the participant of one of your events, not the person putting on those events, but probably with the same intent of uh, it's important for me to be exposed to people in this industry, whether it be medical uh, professionals or whatever it is. Like, who are my peers? Because up until like last year, cannabis was in the shadows you know what i mean like this thing was a huge secret for everybody up until very recently so like how do i get out and meet my peers and know who my you know colleagues are going to be in the future like who's doing what so i did that same thing it was just you know and, and it's uh, for, for me it was a bit about and this is kind of a topic we that's touched upon almost in every single episode of the show which is stepping outside of your comfort zone doing something mm -hmm. that's maybe uncomfortable so that you can become a uh, an evolved human, right? Like you're 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 you're. I mean, I hate public places. speaking. I hate public speaking. Yeah. And it came to the time where I was like, it, not for the first event, but for the second and the third events that got bigger, and I had two screens, and there was a PA, and there was hundreds of people. I was like, well, who's going to moderate this event, and who's going to introduce all the speakers that I got that I convinced. Who's better equipped like, to do it? I guess it's got to be me, and I got to suck it up. Yeah, um, but, I've been in know, that situation too, where they're like, "Hey, here's the mic," and I'm like, "What?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, basically. Um, but those moments are the are. I mean, it sounds so cliche to say, but those moments are really the ones that, uh, you know, alter your yeah. trajectory as a person on this planet. You know, you're I mean, either you. It was either going to be you were either going to be scared and not do it or you were going to do yeah. it. And, you know, now you can do it all the same. Yeah, I, I learned, speaker. I learned so much from doing those events and even just from, you know, there were, you know, there was always Q and a um, in the audience and you had a lot of um, pain management yeah. doctors who were like, you know, very adverse. And I remember one specifically, um, I can't remember his name, but I can see his face. He came up to me after the show and during the show, he was, he asked a question, it was very confrontational to one of the speakers. Um, and afterwards he came and he, he sought me out and he said, Greg, I'm so happy you put this on. Um, I came in thinking one way and I'm now thinking a different way. Wow. And I'm going to go get my um, my certification. There's like a, you know, an online test that they have to get to be certified to be able to yeah. write for because it's not a prescription um, right. a recommendation to to go get medical marijuana in Florida. He's like, I'm going to I'm going to take the test. I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn more. Um, you know, I was that was curious, but I wasn't sure. Thank you for putting it on the show. And I was like, wow. 
and, and that one right pain doctor, right that one pain doctor, think about the amount of people, humans, that that pain doctor touches to say, you don't really need to be on opioids right now. Um, it's your choice, but there are other options. And coming from a doctor saying that to a patient is different than me telling you, right? Sure. Because of where they are in, in, in the hierarchy of, of, of our social ladder trust here, tree. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that in itself, I would say that that was probably one of the most fulfilling things that I've done, just to know that one doctor touches so many. And those three events that I did, and there were hundreds of doctors, physicians in the audience, and they all touch and, and speak to hundreds of, of patients. So, um, so that was really great. So to me, like the entrepreneurial equivalent of that is validation. It's, you know, yeah. and I, I'm going to, I only speak from experience, but I think it is a relatable thing because people have told me that it is, but uh, that idea of, you know, starting a company, maybe doing it in secret. I mean, you know, I, I kind of did for a little while, uh, you know, starting a cannabis company is, is maybe weird, um, but you know, it's not, you know, that, you know, in the back, of your, you know, that's the fear telling you that it's weird, but in the back of your brain, you know, exactly what you're doing and you know, that there is no other choice. Uh, mm -hmm. you're maybe driven to do it. And then this, you know, the second you get that outside validation, it's like a, it's literally for me, it was like a light switch. It was just like, Oh God, yeah. you know, and it didn't come from someone in my, it wasn't like my mom being like, Oh, you're so cute. Right. You know, like it, it was, uh, you know, it, like you, uh, someone who mattered, someone whose opinion mattered, uh, who wasn't going to placate me, you right. know, it's such yeah. an important thing because then you're like, okay, I actually do know it now because then that fear voice that was like, maybe I should be quiet about this goes away. Mm -hmm. And for me, it go, it went away for lots of things like that, that, that voice of, oh, you know, yeah, you you know the voice. Everybody's got it. It's the voice that tell you 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 can't or you shouldn't or this is what people are going to think of you when you do that thing that you don't wear that. Wear this, um, whatever. Like the second you take a leap off the cliff, and the second someone's like, "Nice jump," you're like, "I got this." It doesn't even matter. Yeah, you just you just have to jump in. You just have to do it. You know, if you fail, you'll learn from it. You'll do it differently. You just have to do it. The the worst thing to me in, in terms of people who aspire to be an entrepreneur, do their own thing or run their own business is is to not try and to not, you know, for whatever excuse you could dream up or make, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't have the right resources, I'm not educated enough. Like there's so many obstacles that you can put in front of you as reason not to do it. Yep. Um, so, you know, I've, I've had, you know, businesses that have failed that I've spent lots of time and lots of money on that didn't go anywhere, but I've learned from them and I won't yeah. make that partner mistake again. I won't yep. make that product mistake again. I won't make that phone call again. I yep. won't write that email again. And those lessons have served me well now. Absolutely. The failures are usually more important than successes. I mean, that, that first win of your professional career, again, it's whether it's uh, closing a contract or some doctor telling you that his mind has been changed. Uh, yeah. That first win is definitely, it tastes the best, but they, you know, then they start happening. And, and, you know, for me, at least I'm grateful for everyone, but you know, 
the failures are the ones that stick with you. Like those are the ones that really stick with you. Um, so I love that, man. I love, I love that you're, you know, being self-aware is a huge, hugely important personality trait for, uh, people who want to be successful at, at anything they do. Yeah. Um, what was it about happy Valley? Like, you know, you're in Boulder literally on the other side of the country. What was going on yeah. in Massachusetts? What was Happy Valley doing that you were so stuck um, Well, I will say that I've never in my lifetime envisioned I'd live in New England or the, or the North Shore of Massachusetts. And in fact, you I love Dunkin' Donuts. Only, only, now, only yeah. been to Boston once. <laughs> um, I do not like Dunkin' Donuts. I'm a Starbucks <gasps> person. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I don't, don't say I don't that. The, no, I, we won't tell. <laughs> we won't. I don't know we'll what the obsession with, with dunks is. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'll own that gracefully. <laughs> um, so I was um, I was introduced to um, Michael Reardon, who's our CEO, through a mutual friend um, who was a friend just by me submitting a contact form on his website. Um, so when I was in Florida, immersing myself in the industry, and you may have know this gentleman. He runs a podcast called Canna Insider. Sure. Um, his yeah, name's yeah. Matt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when Matt was first getting started, and he, he's he's like the OG Canna podcaster. Yeah. Right. He, he's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was like, wow. And he only had like a couple episodes. And I was like, let me let me reach out to this guy. He would actually be a really good guy if you want to have on your podcast. I shot. Um, Mental note. Yeah, and I'll make an introduction if 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 you need to. Thank you. Um, yeah, that'd be great. So I um, the power I, of networking, I, people. This is this is networking right here. It's happening live in real time. That's ex that's exactly the purpose of the story. <laughs> so um, filled out his website contact form. He emailed me back and was like, "Hey," and we ended up talking. I told him what I was doing with the symposiums in Florida and the industry and what I wanted to do. He was living in Boulder at the time. Um, and this was, I think, before I was even involved in LEAF or even had an inkling of, of moving to, to Boulder. But we became friends and I flew out to Boulder to meet him and to also meet um, two other people who he had become good friends with, Jay and Diane Zarkowski, who run Canna Advisors in Boulder, who sure. was one of the first OG Canna consulting firms. And they've won many, many licenses across every state. And so he introduced me to them because I was trying to apply for a license in Florida. So I actually engaged with them in a consulting to help write a business plan and financials because that was the trajectory I was doing. And the symposiums was just going to be a differentiator on my application because I've already educated all these doctors and what has everybody else done, right? right. So that was how I got introduced um, to Matt and through... Jay and Diane became really good friends with. So um, I'm sorry, I, for, I forget why I was going with this. <laughs> how, how, why, why Happy Valley? How Happy Valley? Oh, right, 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 right. So, um, so Matt, who prior to Boulder lived in South Carolina, Matt, who runs Canna Insider, was friends with Michael, our CEO at Happy Valley. And Michael and him were talking and said, hey, I need someone to run technology, et cetera. Uh, Matt introduced us. I ended up from Boulder 
um, consulting for a couple of months and flying out here. And, you know, Michael showed me this giant plot of land that had just had a steel frame at the point at this point and said, this is our cultivation facility. And we were, I mean, there was, it was just a frame and yeah. I was just in awe. And it was basically, he was, he was two years ahead of me where I was at wanted to be in Florida. Right. He had already gotten a provisional licenses. He was well funded. Mm -hmm. He is his background was real estate and development um, and his family business was construction and real estate developments and mortgages. He came from the mortgage industry. So he knew that whole world. I didn't know any of that. And then I was like, what, what the hell was I thinking that I could like <laughs> run a vertically integrated company? So uh, or even start to build one. So much, um, so much to do. Oh my God. So, um, so I, so I, I, I flew out and then started consulting for a little while and then leaf the company that I told you about, they, they ran into some money problems and, um, he offered me a, a, a full-time position to be able to, you know, commute as needed back to Massachusetts, knowing that the stores would be open in a year and a half, two years. And there was so much to do. Um, and so that's what, that's what drew me. I mean, it's basically, I got, I was the second person hired here, um, you know, almost four years ago. And there's 200 plus people in the company with two stores open now, full on manufacturing cultivation facility. We have another, um, 80,000 square foot facility in Newburyport that, um, is cultivation and breeding that will be open in probably about a year and a half, so um, to supply the wholesale market. So. Like I saw like what I had envisioned, it wasn't mine per se, um, you know, but it was the opportunity to get in at a ground floor and really make an impact on the direction of the company. Yeah. And, um, and so that's where I've been. And then I made a decision to move my whole family out in the middle of a pandemic because um, I really believed in the company and the brand and what we were building and how we were being different than everybody else, which really uh, I was and still am drawn to like we're leaders like you guys yeah. follow us like no one else in Massachusetts is doing their own, you know, showcase type of store model and it's proven to be different and it's proven to be successful. So, I, so that's what I drew me totally to, to Massachusetts. I can I can completely relate to that, like, you know, seeing an opportunity and not only seeing an opportunity, like the thing about cannabis is timing, like, yes, there's plenty of opportunities, but, you know, find me a find me a, a point in recent history where we're, you know, except for maybe technology where we're, you know, introduced to such a fast moving uh crazy crazy industry you know just everything mm -hmm. you know a, 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 i don't know if you hear you hear about cannabis years you know one year is like seven years in cannabis years yeah it's true year. um but it is fast moving and and being able to recognize that opportunity and being in a time and place like man i totally relate to that for sure like you know i i i, I sometimes look around and i'm like i'm on a wave i know that i'm on this i'm not paddling yeah. i'm not paddling and i didn't miss it i'm on it it's happening. I'm surfing this wave. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head because a lot of this industry, and I think more so than other industries, because it's so new and we're learning and then things change. Um, the networking and meeting people, I, I can tell you so many people that I've met through intros of other people 
that have led to jobs or sales or new vendors or whatever the case may be. Um, and going to like, you know, this, this last year was, I think my maybe seventh year of going to MJ biz, yep. um, in, in Vegas, yeah, it's like my, my pilgrim pilgrimage and just bumping into people that you've seen, you know, last year there was like 30,000 people, but when it was at the Rio and there was 5,000 people, you know, and it right. was much smaller. Um, so, you know, more so I think than any other industry networking and intros and being present at these types of events um, is is important because those intros and those meetings can pay dividends for sure. They happen. It happens at all of the networking events, whether, it, you know, I was almost late to this podcast because I was running, you know, it was luckily it was downtown and only a couple blocks away, but I was running back and forth between a, you know, it's just a small networking event. And I was okay. You know, if I was going to be late to this podcast, I wasn't, but if I was going to be, I would have, yeah. I would have justified it because the networking is the most important thing. And I hope that's it. You know, I, I always hope that, that people take that away when they, when they, because it's, it is not a unique story, like getting out there and meeting people who are doing the thing that you hope to be doing, or at least are in the industry that you hope to be in, uh, will get you in that industry or will get you doing that thing. Um, you know, and let me clarify, sure. because uh, when we say networking, I'm not talking about go join your local BMI chapter and go there every week at the coffee shop at 7am and no. hand out referrals because you go to need to. Right? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding someone interesting, like Matt from Canada Insider, going to their contact page and writing an email and see if they'll they'll reach out to you. You know, exactly. I get people that cold email me all the time. Totally. Um, I can tell the difference between someone that wants to sell me something and someone who's really genuine and honest and just like, hey, I just, I hate when people say pick your brain, but like, yeah, you know, yeah. and if I have time and, you know, I'll, you know, I'll give somebody a half hour of my time because I know it's going to come back to me and that may lead to something else. And it very well has. Totally. And for me, I feel, I feel obligated to do it because I'm still that guy. I still say things like I'd like to pick your brain and, you know, it's important yeah, don't still say like, don't yeah, say I won't, I won't. Okay. Uh, that's the last <laughs> time folks. I'll never say that ever again. Uh, I can't even think of like a, whatever. I'd like to steal your ideas from your brain. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but it is, it is important because you're, you only know what you know, you don't know what you don't know. And the yeah. second you have a conversation with a person who's got not even more or less experience, just differently experienced is, you know, your perspective shifts ultimately. Um, yep. Greg, we kind of talked about kind of what you guys have on, on deck for Happy Valley. That's usually how I close it. What's in deck for, for you in the next couple of years? But you talked about it. You guys are expanding like crazy. Um, I love hearing it. I, I, you know, I, I love seeing the growth happening in this industry. I love the love watching people who are, you know, and I, I'm sorry, I got to use another stupid term, but people, tra you know, trailblazers in this industry, uh, actually becoming successful and, and actually making an impact on this. So I won't ask you what's up for the next couple of years because you've already told us. Uh, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to, uh, to tell us your story. It's been, a, it's been a wonderful pleasure talking to you, Greg. Yeah, no problem. It's been fun. Well, get back to it, man. You got to go like update, you know, iOS 16 is about to come out. So you got to go update all your iPads on the floor. You got to make sure, you know, you got to get it done. 
Greg Weiss, VP of Technology at Happy Valley. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. This has been Common Sense in the I am your host, Will Reed. We will see you next time. Peace out.